Blog Talk Radio. Testing, testing, one, two, three, testing, testing, one, two, three. Give me a beat. And good evening, wrestling fans, and thank you for joining us for July 29th, closing in on, coming up on August, uh, this Friday. This is King Jordan Radio you're listening to. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll be joined shortly with the Wrestling Insider, Double J, JJ. We're going to get into Spike TV dropping the network and much, much more. Uh, Let's see if I can get...
Okay, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to the King Jordan Radio Show. Uh, I tried to play that first, but that that came on delay. In any event, uh, welcome to King Jordan Radio for uh, for uh, Tuesday, July 29th, 2014. Uh, this is King Jordan. You're listening to a lot of stuff to get into, including TNA uh, possibly done with Spike. Maybe moving to Fox, so maybe renewing it. Also, want to remind you folks: this Thursday we will have the president, of, uh, borough president of uh, Brooklyn, uh, Brighton Beach, Brooklyn. Pat Singer joins us live here at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But as always, let's bring in our debate guest. Uh, he is our wrestling insider out of Chicago, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome. Our favorite, one and only, Double J, JJ. Good evening, JJ, and welcome to King Jordan Radio. How are you? Hey, King. Great to be on. Like you said, so much to get into. Spike TV, TNA, uh, this past week was the San Diego Comic-Con. Huge news with Sting, and uh, as well as uh, so much to get into and talk about uh, Sting's first public appearance for the WWE uh, CM Punk was also at the Comic-Con, the WWE and CM Punk under the same roof, believe it or not. But uh, SummerSlam coming up August 17th. We already have three confirmed matches, so a lot to get into. Absolutely. Okay, I think we have, uh, hopefully, uh, Mr. Dominic or Blackjack. Let's go over line two. Uh, Dominic, uh, are you with us? Yes, I'm here, King. All right. Hey, Dominic, how are you? How are you? How you doing? JJ, how you doing, bro? Great to hear from you, Dominic. Same here, bro. I still have to call you Dominic. Yes, I did forget. But, uh, yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, Yes, don't forget to call Dominic. I want to start off this show. Uh, I'll give you a second to get it if you have it. Of course, Dominic has the uh, birthdays and stuff. Uh, but you could hear it on 212-629-1900 daily. Uh, but if Dominic, if you could be so kind to start us off with the birthdays and the uh, year, uh, year in, uh, uh, what do you say, it? how do you say it? Um, sure. Uh, yes, the rest. Yeah. Yeah, we got some great ones today for July 29th. These two, one guy actually managed the other guy. Captain Lou oh, Albano. Really? Baron Miguel Cicluna. Captain Lou. Good old Captain Lou. Yep. Baron Miguel Cicluna. Big Papa Pump Scott Steiner. Um, wow. We also got one of the old-time lady wrestlers, Betty Boucher. She was around, I think, in the 60s and maybe even before that. We got Mexican legend Pirata Morgan. Lana Starr from the old WOW promotion. We got Jackie Anderson. Uh, Hank the Tank Hill. Handsome Frank Stiletto, promoter Gino Moore, and one of my callers, Carlos in Westchester, who's involved in a lot of promotions, a lot of indie stuff. Carlos, happy birthday, bro. All the best. And the day in wrestling history, this is great. July 29th, we're in Puerto Rico, 1989. Super Medico number one defeated Chicky Star in Caguas, Puerto Rico, to win for the second time. The World Wrestling Council junior heavyweight title. 
unbelievable good stuff. And of course, you can hear Dominic uh, regularly for about 15 minutes or 16 minutes uh, a day at 212-629-1900. Let's start off with the lead story. Dominic, have you heard uh, about Spike TV is allegedly letting go of TNA in October, or they're not renewing them? Well, and if so, what's your thoughts? Yeah, a lot of people aren't even talking. Dixie Carter says, don't believe what you what you hear. Vira, uh, uh, Viacom isn't commenting on it. And I just read right. today that they're still, they're still in talks with Spike TV. So, but I don't I know. To me, that, I think it's still up in the air. I hope we don't I lose them. Because the next three taping dates that are in Manhattan... There's nothing listed for taping dates after that. That's the scary part. Yeah. Well, we've been down that road before, too, where we thought there was nothing left. And Tomorrow I'm going to take it upon myself to try and get a, a phone number for Spike TV and call, and, and, and call them. And, uh, J.J., we were, to, uh, uh, you know, texting earlier, and I told you this would be... Uh, this would be utter disaster if TNA doesn't have a home. Because, yeah. you know, as it is, there's no competition for WWE. Then there will really be no competition. Now at least, you know, a million or two viewers will watch the uh, TNA programming and, and they like it. And, and it's like something good besides the WWE to watch. It'll be exactly. horrible if it's just WWE. you agree? Yeah, 100%. Uh, you're right on the money with that, King. I mean, like I said, what, what wrestling fans really want is an option. And with TNA, whether you love it or hate it, you know, lots of people will go online and talk trash about it. At the end of the day, it's an option. It's something else besides the global juggernaut that is WWE with their Monday Night Raw, which is three hours, their SmackDown, their, their new WWE Network. I mean, this is all really wrestling fans have on television that they can watch that's an alternative, that's different, uh, you know. And it's, it's just sad because you care a lot about these superstars who are, at the end of the day, you know, they're providing for their families. There's a lot of people, production crews, people who set up the ring, cameramen, they could potentially be in big, you know, trouble here. I mean, this could be the end of TNA because it's very difficult not to have you know a television. We looked at ECW when TNN, which actually is Spike TV. Before Spike TV was Spike TV, it was TNN, and then they kicked ECW off. How long did ECW last uh, last without a, a television show? And then you know WCW, and it's just it's really sad right now. You can't help but be worried for TNA. They went through a lot of ups and downs this this year between budget cuts and releasing talent. You know, they lost Orlando, Florida. They had to go out and do live events, and then the live events didn't sell so well. They tried to get back in Florida, and now they're trying to do something with the Manhattan Center. They're trying to, they're fighting and clawing their way to stay alive. But uh, even the loss of Jeff Jarrett, the founder of the company, you know, he's starting his own promotion now, which was a sign that, oh, my God, things must be bad when the owner, the founder of the company is leaving, stepping down. And there was talks of whether or not TNA was up for sale. 
and we all thought that you know WWE was going to come in and buy them, or or maybe someone else was going to purchase TNA, and yet they're still standing. You know, through all, everything that's happened this year, and now we're coming across this television this deal, and you know we saw a few weeks ago with WWE and NBC and Universal and how they didn't WWE thought they were going to make you know a good deal with uh, NBC and they were going to come back at a good amount of money. And it turned out, you know, between the WWE Network not, you know, doing as well as they'd hoped, the whole stock market, they didn't get the deal they wanted from NBC. And they're the WWE, and they're getting at least three to four million, you know, viewers a week. And then you look at TNA, which, as you mentioned, gets at least one million guaranteed are watching Impact, you know, every Thursday. And, you know, you got to wonder, Spike TV, they may not want to renew TNA. That's why these negotiations are ongoing, because they have their, you know, project goal of what they want to get, and they don't want to renew TNA for the current price. They probably would bring TNA back if TNA takes a cut, and they have to get in a lot lower, which TNA doesn't want. TNA, at the end of the day, wants to make a profit. But I don't think Spike TV, you know, at will, you know, accept more or what they're saying. They want TNA for cheap. And unfortunately for TNA, they just can't afford it. Uh, yes, and Dixie did tweet out that they were negotiating, right? Yes, they are. The negotiation is ongoing. They're hoping that they'll stay on Spike TV, but, you know, at least Spike is giving them a head warning so that if TNA does want to shop for other networks, as you mentioned, before there was Spike TV, TNA, you could see every Friday afternoon on Fox Sportnet. That could be an option, whether or not they would want to go back to Fox Sport, whether or not Fox Sports wants TNA back. I mean, they really have to look and see. And hopefully, like I said, with a guaranteed, you know, at least a million people viewing, you know, impact, you know, you would think another network would just, you know, couldn't wait to grab TNA. But, it's, you know, it's hard to say. You know, wrestling is not what it was you know, in the mid-90s, it's not what it was in the 80s with MTV and the rock and roll, you know, wrestling connection. It, you know, wrestling is going through a phase right now, so it's, it's not in as demand as it used to be, so it makes it very difficult when you're shopping for a new network. Uh, that's uh, definitely uh, true. And, Dominic, do you agree with the sentiments uh, that JJ said? Yeah, I do. I agree with him wholeheartedly. Now, this past weekend, I thought it was going to be the start of new stuff, okay? Because WWL, World Wrestling League, started this weekend, okay? Now, there was one of two, one of two channels. One channel keeps advertising it and advertising it with Time Warner. And two weeks in a row, they've been showing a game show. On the alternate channel, which is a Dominican channel... Jeff Sheridan happens to get that in Staten Island. So I said, good, you're getting WWL, let me know what happens. So he watched it, and it was from last year at this time. It's wow. not new. Wow. Yeah, and one of the shows that he saw, the opening match, was Blue Demon Jr. against Big Daddy V, Viscera. Now we oh. know Viscera's deceased, yeah. and that thing is a year old. Yeah. So he emailed somebody, I don't know who, and they said we're doing new tapings uh, coming up in August. But for now, I don't get the channel with, the, with, with it on there, and it's a year old anyway. Yeah. 
Then I found CMLL on another network from Mexico. And what that was, that was stuff taped in Arena Calacio, Arena Mexico, and another match from Arena Calacio. Taped four matches they gave us, all from different dates. Hmm. And they were all old, too. So I said, well, so much for this weekend. I'll stick to Azteca TV with the current CMLL, and uh, that's it. Later for the rest of them. But TNA was the alternative. To me, it still is, and I hope hope they don't lose Spike. I don't think they will. I think they're going to come to an agreement. Man, I I totally agree. I mean, Spike has the pluses and minuses. They did bring in the stars. They you know, you know, if you look through, walk through the uh, dressing room in that TNA, you gotta give them credit. Whether they're you know, big names, you know, from AJ Styles to Sting to Hogan mm-hmm. to Nash to this one to that one, yep. TNA has did their part in getting the talent. This is not an ECW situation where Paul Heyman could not afford it. To pay yeah. the wrestlers, this is not in any way like that. So I don't want people to get that idea. Uh, I do want to touch on JJ uh, what you were alluding to, the uh, Sting uh, first ever WWE appearance. Yeah. Why don't you uh, what, 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 what went down? Well, it was a, a huge surprise to a lot of fans in San Diego who take part in the big annual uh, San Diego Comic-Con. It's a huge event. Uh, there's lots of stuff between comics and movies and television, but also now wrestling's become a big part of the Comic-Con. And uh, Mattel, who does the manufacturers for the toys of WWE, Mattel actually had a panel featuring Daniel Bryan, Hulk Hogan, and Paul Heyman discussing the future releases of, you know, toys and this and that that Mattel will be producing. And to everyone's shock, also on the panel was the icon himself, Sting. Sting made a huge surprise. Mattel announced that they are um, creating the first ever WWE Sting action figure. They showed a prototype of it. Sting was there. He uh, He got to talk with the, uh, the people at the showroom floor and discuss, you know, he's very eager and he's taking these sort of baby steps with the WWE and he, uh, he's very excited. That was first, the first time ever you saw Sting live for a WWE event. I mean, that was, uh, it's huge. First we saw the trailer for the video game. Now this, you know, Sting is gradually taking these baby steps and uh, everyone still wants to know when we're going to see Sting inside a WWE ring. Sting says that, you know, he's open. He's open to anything. He does want to have that one more match. I mean, I would hope he would want to do more than one match. But, you know, for right now, he's just put it out there. He wants that one more match. But uh, it was a very big news. Very cool to see Sting and Daniel Bryan next to each other. I mean, it was surreal. I mean, we've seen Sting and Hogan through the years. So there wasn't anything new there, but seeing Sting and Paul Heyman and Daniel Bryan and, you know, seeing them together in a room, and there's lots of photos online, which you can see. It was just a really cool moment. And uh, very strange, uh, going a little off topic, Daniel Bryan, you know, he was at the Comic-Con. He met Sting. He was there for the panel. And it was breaking news on TMZ was that when Daniel Bryan left the Comic-Con and he came home, he took a flight out in uh, Brie Bella. Oh, yeah. met him at the airport. 
And then as they were approaching their home, they found two burglars who had broken into their home and was ready to uh, leave with uh, their stolen items. And the burglars saw, you know, Brian and Bree, who were just parking their car, and they dropped everything and they took off running. Daniel Bryan, just his instincts kicked in, and he ended up chasing one of the men, and he caught him. He caught him. He subdued him himself. And uh, it's a little bit of a controversy because, as, as you know, King, just uh, last week we were talking about that case of the New York police officer that put a man in a, a rear choke and eventually ended up killing him. Daniel Bryan did the exact same thing, but unlike the police officer, Daniel Bryan, who pretty much, as we discussed uh, during that one clip with Stone Cold Steve Austin, he trained in MMA. He's basically, you know, he's been putting people in chokeholds his whole career, and uh, he changed with Randy Couture's, uh, you know, cornerman at his gym, and, you know, he's very proficient, and he put this uh, thief in a rear naked choke just enough to keep him grounded. He didn't, you know, squeeze too hard. He didn't pass out. But he subdued him until the police arrived and arrested him. And it was a huge story. You can see about a three-minute clip on TMZ.com. You can go on YouTube and see a press conference that the uh, the police had with Brian and Bree. And it's about 20 minutes long. And Brian also discussed that, you know, he did this. He subdued this burglar. He chased him down, you know, the alley in his, in his block until the police came. And he did this with a broken neck. He did this with half the strength in his arm because, you know, his, his rehabilitation isn't going as smooth as he hoped. And he even revealed during the press conference that he talked to doctors, and doctors told him that uh, he has a what they call a double crush which basically means the nerve from his neck to his elbow to his hand is pretty much shot. So that's one of the reasons why he is not recovering the way he should and that he has half the strength in his one arm. So the doctors did confirm that Daniel Bryan will need a second surgery. So I hate to say, but I really don't think we'll be seeing Daniel Bryan wrestling this year. The fact that he needs a second surgery to repair the damages uh, to his nerves. So it's a very sad, but uh, I mean, what an amazing story of uh, Daniel Bryan, a local yes. hero in that area, basically a superhero. He, he caught a man. There's one less criminal on the streets because of Daniel Bryan, and he did it in a very safe manner. The uh, the suspect, the criminal, was not injured. It was not uh, nothing terrible happened to him. He was arrested in police custody now, facing the charges of his crime. In fact, I heard there were other burglaries and other charges that uh, this person was facing, but uh, it's just a truly amazing, astonishing story of Daniel Bryan. I'm sure that idiot burglar did not realize uh, what he was doing when he, Barb, uh, was surprised to realize that he was going into a wrestler. And any yeah. idiot that goes into, I don't care if he's a wrestler or not, uh, goes into somebody's house and tries to do some shit like that, deserves yeah. that, deserves a beating like that. And, uh, you know, you know, we were talking about the, the self-defense. There's a lot of states where, yes, uh, you can get in trouble for actually killing the guy even if he enters your house, but... There are states that stand your ground law, 
uh, if somebody comes into your place, you you have the right to bear arms, and uh, and I quite frankly I agree with that. You know, if somebody's coming to your place, your safe haven, you should have you know the rules are out the books. In my yeah. opinion, it should be. You know, somebody's yeah, coming into your safe haven, and that's it. So that's the way. Brie Bella even said during the press conference that, you know, she felt violated because you mentioned it's one thing if someone steals your car and that's outside your home. But to break in inside your home, into your, as you mentioned, your safe haven, it really violates, uh, really violates you because, I mean, that's your home. That's your one place where you should be safe. And to know that there were these two men who were ruffling and breaking things. In fact, Daniel Bryan even mentioned uh, a lot of us wrestling fans know that uh, Daniel Bryan's father passed away this year, and the burglar tried to steal a bracelet that uh, Daniel Bryan's father gave him. And on the bracelet, it was uh, an inscribing, uh, and it said, to the, to the man you've become and to the son you've always be. And it was something that made Daniel Bryan very emotional, and he was very grateful that when he, he got home to when he did because the burglar basically dropped the bracelet, and that's the last thing that uh, Brian has of his father. So it was a, a very sad story. But uh, as Bree mentioned, you know, you, you're scared. You, you're afraid to go to sleep at night because, you know, what if it happens again? You know, that other suspect is still out there, you know. So it, it's a very scary situation when someone breaks into your home. It's just uh, it's, I wish that on no one. I hope the judge throws the book at him. Yeah. So, uh but uh, I wanted to get into uh, a, a superstar that will be making a return uh, to the TNA, I should say, uh, former ECW superstar. JJ, you have the story on that? Yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, TNA released the news, I believe, uh, a few days ago, and uh, they announced that Tajiri, Yoshihiro Tajiri of ECW and WWE fame, will be coming to TNA. He will be taking part of that uh, TNA New York taping this August. So I'm very excited to see the Japanese buzzsaw inside a TNA ring for the first time ever. I mean, it's just it's going to be great. Uh, anyone that remembers Tajiri, he is just uh, a really awesome performer. His kicks are lethal, and uh, he, it's a part of the promotion that the great Muda has brought in with uh, his Wrestle One and TNA partnership. We've seen Sonata and others come in. There's uh, this great uh, deal with Wrestle One and the great Muda, and we're now seeing Tajiri a part of that. So very excited. Can't wait to see Tajiri in a TNA ring, in a six-sided ring. Dominic, what's your thoughts on Tajiri? Yeah, always been a big Tajiri fan. Even in ECW when he teamed with Steve Carino, WWE, Tajiri was excellent, but going back to ECW, yes. Tajiri with the Japanese death matches against who was his big feuds there? Super Cause crazy. Had Japanese death matches and Mexican death matches, but super crazy. Oh yeah, unbelievable! And he, they did a lot of things there that they didn't do even in WWE. He was better in in uh, in ECW, and he'll oh, yeah. be nothing but an asset for TNA. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, uh, I uh, found the awesome clip. Who should Sting face at the Big Bash WrestleMania 31? Let's listen and talk on the other side. 
Sting's debut in a commercial for the new 2K15 video game. I thought this commercial was fantastic. Uh, we had heard about the casting call in June. Uh, people thought, oh, this means Sting's going to be on Raw. But what they were looking for was uh, an orchestra to perform, uh, some Sting lookalikes. They were looking for some big, uh, I think, muscular body doubles. I don't know what happened to the body doubles. My only guess is that they probably filmed more than one commercial. I heard this shoot cost like two hundred grand. although I think 2K paid for it, not WWE. Uh, some ridiculous amount of money like that. I would have to think they filmed two or three different commercials that will air over the next few weeks. Maybe one of those commercials has a, a Sting body double. Uh, but it was the real Sting in the flesh here. They had the uh, orchestra performing his old Crow music uh, from the first chord. It was awesome. Uh, and Sting, I think, lower. They didn't show him lowering, but you see a shadow lowering from a from a rooftop or a ceiling. And uh, they stop playing. They all turn around, all the performers in the orchestra. They're wearing Sting masks or face paint, whatever it was. And then we see a shot of the real Sting. He didn't speak. It was very brief, maybe a three-second shot. Uh, I thought it was very well done. Uh, it gave me goosebumps. It was really, really cool. People reacted to it. They kept the crowd noise in. As soon as, even before Sting appeared, I think from the moment they started playing his music, people started reacting, but it was when they all, all the members of the orchestra turned around and people saw them with the Sting face paint on, that people in the building went nuts. Then they showed Sting, and the only time they booed was when people realized, oh, shit, it's just a video game commercial. They thought maybe it was a... Uh, a vignette for his uh, imminent debut, uh, and in fact it was not, and that's when they, they turned on the ad and they started booing it. So uh, he got a reaction that you would not expect a guy to get who has not one time ever stepped foot in a WWE ring. So clearly people know who Sting is. Uh, maybe, hey, maybe it's all the, uh, the WCW footage on the network. You know, all the kids and all the younger people who don't know of him now know of him, you know, I don't know. They haven't done a DVD for Sting. Uh, they haven't talked about him very much. But I never once doubted that Sting was going to get a big reaction for his first appearance because he's a big star. Most people know who he is. And you know what? Go back even before this video game commercial. Go back. It was either last year or the year before. I think it was last year. would have been shortly after Hulk Hogan left TNA. It was one of the pay-per-views. Maybe the pay-per-view in October. It might have actually been the Battleground show in October, they were doing these uh, these interactive fan polls where you can vote on who you think is the greatest world heavyweight champion and who you think is the greatest WWE champion. And in one of the polls, Hulk Hogan was an option. I think Hogan won the poll. And it, it, maybe it was for the United States title. Who was the greatest U.S. champion of all time? Sting was one of the options. And Sting won. Hogan and Sting won. And both of them were, were in TNA, or Hogan had just left TNA. So Sting won the poll, and that was back in October. So I always knew uh, people know who the guy is. You know, he's just this iconic figure in wrestling, and when he appears, he's going to get a big pop. And this was just a video game commercial, and he got a big pop. And I'm sure that, you know, the day that he sets foot in an arena for the first time, he's going to get a great ovation. And it's going to happen. I mean, I don't care whether, he, you know, you read reports he still hasn't signed, but he's close, or... He probably hasn't. You know, I believe that. I believe he hasn't signed a, a wrestler contract yet. He has some other contract with 2K, and he's probably still negotiating and, and talking to WWE and maybe wants a little more money than what they're willing to give him. But he wants to come in, and they want him in. And you heard the audio I played from that Triple H interview with Michael Cole at the beginning of the podcast. Triple H would not be doing interviews on .com 
teasing people that, you know, well, if it's best for business, you know, we'll get Sting inside a WWE ring. I mean, Michael Cole flat out asked him, okay, enough about the video game. When or, you know, if we will ever see Sting inside a WWE ring, they wouldn't even ask the question if they didn't think they either had him or we're going to bring him in. Don't worry. It may be a while, but we're going to bring him in. So he's coming in. He's going to work a WrestleMania match next year. I have no doubt about it. Maybe he'll even get his Hall of Fame induction next year. Uh, the Sting DVD is already being worked on. He's coming in. And I think the uh, – and not only is he coming in, but Sting has done interviews this week to promote the video game and has outright said that he wants to come in. He has outright said that he wants one match with The Undertaker and that he wants to retire. He said this before. He's still harping on it. He says, I want to come in. I want to wrestle one match. WrestleMania next year sounds like a great place to do it. And I want it to be against The Undertaker. He said, I don't know if he's done or not. I don't think he is. And I really want that match with The Undertaker. So the question I pose to everybody listening, Sting's coming in. He's wrestling a match. He wants The Undertaker. Maybe The Undertaker is done. Maybe WWE doesn't want to do that match. Maybe Vince knows something we don't. That's why he said, you know what, the streak is ending this year. No ifs, ands, or buts. It's done. He saw something we didn't, and he knows that Undertaker is done. I mean, who knows? But what Sting match intrigues you the most? I know a lot of people will say, well, no Sting match intrigues me. He's too old. He's going to be 56. He's broken down. I don't want to see him wrestle. Pretend like you don't have a choice. He is going to wrestle. i got a gun to your head, and you have to pick an opponent. What opponent would you prefer to see Sting in the ring with at WrestleMania one last match next year? Is it Undertaker? Is that the biggest marquee match they could do with him? What about Triple H? You know, I'm listening to Triple H in that interview talk about Sting, and I'm getting a vibe here like that might be a possible match. If, if Undertaker isn't going to wrestle, maybe they could do Sting and Triple H. You know what? I wouldn't mind seeing that match. I think that match would have some marquee value to it. And that's a match that would at least allows Sting to go out a winner. Because I think if Sting and Undertaker have a match, Undertaker needs to win that match. Undertaker needs to, if he's going to have one more match coming off that, that horrendous match with Brock and a loss, he deserves to end his career with a victory. I'm sure Sting would have no problem, you know, losing to the Undertaker. I mean, I've said this before. If you're going to do a Sting-Undertaker match, the story is right there. You know what I mean? Undertaker is done in his mind. He's finished. Sting says, not so fast. You've got one match left in you. It's going to be with me. Undertaker says, no, I'm not doing it. He, he just he cannot be convinced. Eventually, he is convinced under the provision that Sting agrees to this being both of their final matches. And you go into WrestleMania next year knowing that no matter what, you are witnessing the final Undertaker match ever, and you are witnessing the final Sting match ever. And that way, between that and the fact that the streak is over, so you don't have that, you know, monkey hanging over you anymore. You don't have that uh, 800-pound elephant in the room. Well, you know, of course he's going to win. He's undefeated. Well, he's not undefeated anymore. Now you don't know so much whether or not he's going to win or lose. And so at least there, there's some element of, of what's going to happen. Are they both going to knock each other out? And they're, you know, like a last man standing kind of double DQ thing, which I think would be stupid. No, I think Undertaker should go over, and, and he should go out a winner. So is that the match you want to see? Do you want to see Sting and Triple H? Do you think that would be a better match? What about Sting and The Rock? There was one time many years ago, although this was a long time ago, like a decade, that Rock had floated the idea maybe of working a match with Sting at WrestleMania. Rock was always looking for big opponents to go up against. You know, there was a, a rumor that 
Rock had floated the idea of Randy Savage. Now, I don't know if Randy Savage physically would have even been able to do the match, and I don't think he realized how uh, persona non grata Savage was with Vince McMahon at the time, but it never got that far because that would have been for WrestleMania 21, and that was uh, a few months before is when Rock's contract expired. WWE forgot to uh, extend it, and they just let his contract expire, and that was what caused the rift between Rock and uh, Vince McMahon. He felt very offended by that, like they were sending him a message, like you're not important anymore. And he went away for many, many years, and they, he never did wrestle at WrestleMania 21. But at one time, he was interested in doing a match with Sting. They could still do it. You know, Rock was doing interviews this week saying, yeah, I'd love to wrestle another match. I just have to find the right marquee opponent. Sting is not a mainstream name. Sting is not even as mainstream as John Cena is. So if Rock is looking for a mainstream name like a Brock or a Cena, it's not going to happen with Sting. Sting does not have that mainstream appeal. But for wrestling fans, I don't know. Is that is that a match that, that excites you? Sting and the Rock? What about Sting and John Cena? That would be a huge match. Cena would have to win <laughs> for all the people that uh, John Cena has beaten and uh, careers that have been stalled as a result. The idea that that Sting would be the one to uh, to beat John Cena cleanly at WrestleMania just seems uh, it just seems wrong to me. So Cena would have to win, and I'm sure that would just make people's heads explode. That would be a big match. What about Sting and a younger guy like Bray Wyatt? I, I think a Sting-Bray Wyatt match of all the new guys on the roster, the up-and-coming guys, he's the one that would make the most sense. People love to talk about dark characters and dark promos. I think that's what, that, that's what kind of brings people around to this idea of Undertaker and Sting. It's really the only common thing between them. I mean, they, at one time anyway, had these very dark characters and these dark entrances. And I guess you could say that both guys are kind of the franchise player of their of their respective company. Sting and Wyatt, kind of a similar thing, right? Wyatt comes out, he cuts these creepy promos. Sting hasn't really played the Crow character in a long, long time. He wasn't even the Crow in TNA. I don't care what face paint he was wearing. We have not seen Crow Sting, I'm going to say, probably since 1998. Because, you know, it became Wolfpack Sting, right, with the red face paint. I mean, Crow Sting really ended in 98. What is that, 15 years? That's a long time. Actually, probably 16 years by now. Um, but I throw that out to you. If you had to make a choice, who would you prefer to see Sting against one last match at WrestleMania next year? Taker, Triple H, Rock, Cena, Wyatt, somebody else I'm not thinking of? I would think those are the biggest names you could do. Maybe there's somebody else. But... Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing him. I think even if he comes in, does the one match, and he hangs it up, I think you could keep him around as a character. I don't, I, I don't know what he would do. I don't really have any interest in, in reprising the GM character. I don't even think things should be on TV every single week. But he's done some of the best promo work of his career in the last few years in TNA. I, I mean, he was always good. You know, he's always good on the microphone, but... I don't think I, I saw promos from this guy as good as what I saw from him in TNA when he was doing the Joker Sting character. It, it was incredible. And it doesn't matter how old you are, you can always grab a microphone and cut a promo. So Sting could be 60 years old out there cutting promos better than 85% of the roster that they have now. 
I hope they find a role for him and, and can get him some TV time because I think he can end up being a good character on the show, just not as an in-ring performer. Okay, let's go to Dominic first. Dominic, who would you like to see Sting take on at WrestleMania? Well, none of them people that were mentioned at all. I want Sting take on Kane. Hmm. Uh-huh. Kane can do it all. He can fly. He's been with the WWE very, very long. And there's that little mystique, that dark side of Sting, you know, with all the pyro and the flames and everything coming out. Sting, of course, still has the mystique about him. I don't want to see Sting against Cena because I don't want to see Sting, if that's his last match, retire and lose to somebody with less talent than him, I don't want that. I don't like Bray Wyatt. I'm not into Bray Wyatt at all. Um, Undertaker, people was hoping that it would be Sting against Undertaker with the streak on the line then and have Sting do it But instead of Brock Lesnar. But Brock wound up doing it. You could do Undertaker and Sting. And nothing on the line without the streak being on the line, fine and dandy. But they're saying that Sting may not even, uh, Undertaker may not even be at WrestleMania this year. I don't want to see Brock and Sting either. I don't know. My my, my pick is Kane. I like it, and uh, that would definitely be interesting. What about you, JJ? Yeah, I mean, actually, Dominic brought up a, a great point, especially for Kane, who's been in the WWE for so long. I think that would be huge for him because right now, you know, being the puppet for the authority, he's not really doing anything big right now. And now that especially he brought the mask back and he's wearing the mask and he's the demon Kane, you could potentially have that, you know, the demon Kane versus, you know, the dark brooding sting because even though, as they mentioned, we haven't seen that side of Sting in over 15, 16 years, at the same time, this is the WWE now. This is a whole new generation, a whole new audience that, for the most part, I'd say half that audience probably has never even seen that Sting. So it would be new to them. So if they saw a brooding Sting or if they saw a Joker Sting, it would be completely new for them, so it would be interesting. And Sting's good enough where he could make it believable. Uh, I agree with what they said in that clip that you know Sting was always you know very charismatic in uh, you know his promos in WCW. But I really love some of the stuff he did in TNA. He really helped you know elevate a lot of those guys with his promos. He made you feel it, and it was uh, just some great stuff. You know, if Sting could lose to uh, Magnus and Ethan Carter III. You know, I, I don't, it wouldn't shock me if he lost to a John Cena who's done everything that, that can be done in WWE, if he lost to The Undertaker, if The Undertaker's even, you know, eligible to, to wrestle next year. I mean, as far as we know, he's in bad shape right now, and we're not even sure if he'll, he can wrestle, if he'll even pass the physical, you know, by next year. So it's hard to really say. I would love to see Sting Taker. It's been a dream match for so many, but I think at this point it's just a dream because of Taker, his health, and just, you know, things that just don't look good for Taker. But as Dominic pointed out as well, without the streak on the line, I don't know if the match would have that same sort of spark or the same magic 
But, uh, of course, the fans would want Taker to win. You wouldn't want to see Taker lose two straight WrestleManias in a row. But, uh, you know, Bray Wyatt is a possible choice, not because of his wrestling ability, but just as a character. And if you take Sting's character and Bray Wyatt's character, I think the promos leading up to WrestleMania would be very interesting, would uh, captivate the uh, fans. And, you know, hopefully, you know, it could make a really good launching point for Bray Wyatt. Because I think Sting, at the end of the day, would just put Bray over and he would make them look like a million bucks. Even if, you know, you don't think Bray Wyatt can wrestle, Sting will, will do whatever he can to make the guy look good. Like I said, what he did with Magnus in EC3. You know, Sting's a, a company guy. And if he works for the WWE, if he has that match for the WWE, I think he'll do uh, whatever they ask of him. But uh, it will be great regardless. Sting, seeing Sting wrestle at WrestleMania, regardless who it is, I think it will be something special. I wish it was Taker. I don't think it's going to be him. If I had to pick somebody right now, I guess I would go with Bray just because of the two characters. You know, Sting, Cena, you know, uh, I don't know about that. You know, Sting, Kane, I do like that. I thought that was a really good point by Dominic just because it hasn't been done and it would really help launch Kane back to a, a really big role in the WWE, which is something he needs right now. You know what would be cool? Yeah, they don't want to do a guy that's active and a guy that can still go. What about Shawn Michaels and Sting? And that, 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 could, even go, that could even go to a 20-minute draw and the crowd would be on its feet. Wow. I mean, Shawn Michaels, the showstopper, Mr. WrestleMania, I mean, he really performs like no one else. His matches at, through so many WrestleManias with Bret Hart, with Undertaker, with you know, it's really, he steals the show. It's, it's phenomenal. And for, for those two guys, the guy of the WWE and Sting, who was of WCW, for them to collide, I would much rather see uh, Shawn Michaels and Sting than uh, John Cena and Sting. Yeah, but me too. Me too. I just think that Shawn is really adamant that his last match be with The Undertaker. I don't think he wants to go against that because we could have seen Daniel Bryan versus Shawn Michaels. But Sean, I don't think he wants to come back. I think he's happy with his two matches against Taker. I think those two matches, if you're ever going to retire, those were the matches to do it. They were damn near perfect, you know, two years in a row. But uh, I would like to see Michaels and Sting. I think it would be huge. I just don't think Michaels wants to come back. He doesn't want to ruin his retirement match with Undertaker. Yeah, they were both unbelievable yeah. matches with him and Taker, two two years in a row. And yeah, yeah I got to agree. I don't, don't think uh, Sean wants to actually come back and tarnish that. Yeah, the two matches that he had with Undertaker. But they were true about the Rock. The, the Rock want to the thing. If thing, you know, came out and said, Sean. I have the most respect for you, and I know you're retired, but I want to wrestle one match, and I know the fans would want it. So if it's all right with The Undertaker, let's do HBK versus The Icon. And can you imagine the build-up to that? Oh, my God. That'd be huge. Oh, my goodness gracious. That would be great. And uh, 
another question that I wanted to ask Dominic and JJ. Uh, would you have preferred, in retrospect, that Sting broke the streak as opposed to Brock Lesnar? Dominic, you first. Oh, there's a lot of different answers for that. You could say I don't want I didn't want Sting to do it because he's not a WWE guy, and but that would have been a, a great marquee match. Brock Lesnar, I didn't want him to to do it at all because he comes and goes as he pleases. Why should he be the one to take right. the Undertaker streak? He's not a full time WWE roster guy. I'd rather Fandango have freaking done it. He's a full time wrestler when he was. No, right. He's not a full time wrestler either. I'd rather have Fandango have done it than, you know, than Brock. People say Brock is the real thing. He'll take your head off. Yeah, granted, he will be a full-time wrestler, go out there in the trenches every day, and prove yourself. He's not proving himself by a match here, a match there. It's not. Yeah, what, he, what is it? He's going to wrestle at SummerSlam, and then when is he going to come back to Survivor Series? Really? That's why SummerSlam, I'm rooting for Cena. I don't like Cena. Maybe I like Brock better, but I don't like Brock as champion. Because he comes and goes, and that's not what a champion should be. What are we going to do, be without a belt until Brock decides to stroll back in again? No, I'm sorry. I'm going for Cena, or if they change that match... It'll even be a better thing. Uh, JJ, in retrospect, you you could go back with you have part-time Brock Lesnar uh, go ahead and uh, give Undertaker's first laws, or would you be like me, knowing what you know now, have uh, Sting go over? Well, uh, like Dominic said, it's a really hard point to uh, to look at because, you know, as great as uh, the Sting is, like you said, there's a lot of fans that might be upset. They might even rebel. And today's audience is very, very strange, man. And, uh, you know, we saw when Batista came back, the fans embraced it. They gave him a huge pop. They were happy. The animal's back. And then he won the Royal Rumble, and everybody hated his guts. I don't know if that would happen to Sting. If Sting would be the guy, then everybody turns in because here this guy comes in out of nowhere, never a part of the WWE before, and he beats the legendary Undertaker. Would fans then boo Sting? Would they chant CM Punk during Sting matches? Would they chant Daniel Bryan during Sting matches? The audience today is, like I said, they're bizarre. They just do whatever the hell they want to do regardless of, you know, what you're supposed to do or what the WWE wants you to do. They have a mind of their own, and they, you know, they march to the beat of their own drum. So it's very difficult to say. If I had to choose one, and yeah, I would have loved to see Sting come in and possibly have another match next year. But, you know, what we're hearing is Sting just wants one match, and that's it. So it's real difficult to say because, again, Brock, Brock needed to establish himself as the beast. And, you know, he wasn't doing that. His feud with Triple H, it didn't really do much to elevate him. When he first came in in 2012, he lost. Here's a guy who, like I said, is a legit UFC champion, MMA, martial arts, and he comes in, and what happens? He gets crushed by Super Cena. That was a horrible 
decision by the WWE to have Cena go over on Brock then. Yeah, really, yep. Then, you know, we had a great match last year at SummerSlam with Brock, where Brock just decimated CM Punk. He looked like the beast again. And then we, we saw him kind of exchange... You know, with Mark Henry, where he F5'd Mark Henry, he hit the big show with a chair. We're still not really seeing him being this legitimate threat in the WWE. Well, now everyone's walking on eggshells around Brock because now he's the guy who broke the streak. And a lot of people hate it. They don't like it. He shouldn't have been the guy to do it. But for right now, I think there was nobody better to do it, uh, besides maybe John Cena. But then, again, people would complain of Super Cena and Cena breaking the streak. So it's, it's real difficult because you're never going to make everyone totally happy. But uh, I, if I had a choice, yeah, I, I think I would have went with Sting just because it would have been a great way to end the streak. It would have been a great way for Taker to bow out. But now, of course, there's that match between you know Lesnar and Taker, which, again, even if... If, you know, the match, even if Tinker won the match and the streak wasn't broken, the match itself wasn't what I was hoping it would be. I mean, it, it wasn't a great way to go out for Undertaker. Undertaker, who like, who's had so many tremendous WrestleMania matches the last few years against Michaels, against Triple H, against CM Punk, and for this to be his final match, that, uh, I, I really hope that's not the case, and I hope that, you know, he's healthy enough to come back, have that one more match, hopefully with Sting, and he could go out on top the way uh, someone of his stature, his legendary, iconic stature, and what he's done for the WWE, he should go out on top. But I don't know if that'll happen. Totally agree with you. Uh, let's get stay on the uh, John Cena topic. And uh, on this clip, uh, why has John Cena never had a memorable championship win? Let's take Dan writes in, John Cena has been champion 15 times now in his career. Out of all of his title reigns, do you remember which one actually was memorable and felt special? I just finished watching Eddie Guerrero win the title against Brock Lesnar in No Way Out, and that one title win felt like it had more feeling and passion behind it than all of Cena's title reigns combined. I just can't remember the last time Cena won the belt and made it feel special and brought passion to it. When is the last time you remember Cena winning the belt and actually bringing the passion that we saw during Eddie's days as champion. He never did. Few people could bring that kind of passion to winning the title uh, like Eddie did. You know, not just Cena. I think the moment for Eddie, the story behind it, nobody ever saw him as being a champion, nobody ever saw him as being on that level. He had a lot of demons that he battled through to come back. You know, Cena never had any demons. Cena's just... You know, Cena's a straight-laced guy. There's really... Cena's boring. That's the whole point of John Cena. You know, Eddie Guerrero had all these demons and these problems and, uh, you know, arrests, and he was down just in the ditches, the lowest of lows, and he worked his way back up, and it was this great story. I think for John Cena, there never was a story. The only story with Cena was they had some footage of him dressed up as Hulk Hogan as a kid, and he talked about how he used to be a fan. Meanwhile... From what I understand, it wasn't like he was a fan from being a kid and he never stopped. I think he got out of wrestling. I know he became a you know a big fan of bodybuilding, and then he ended up falling back into wrestling. So I they they never usually tell that part of the story, but that was always my impression. Uh, but you know he he grew up a fan and and he became a star. That's it. Seen as very boring and very vanilla uh, in a lot of ways and. 
Eddie, you can't say that Eddie was vanilla, you know, certainly he had his ups and downs, and it was an interesting career path that he took, and it meant so much when he won that championship, and he, and he won it in his hometown, and his family was there, and people went nuts, it was great, it was just a great feel-good moment, whereas now John Cena wins the title, and, you know, they try to make it sound like Boston is his hometown, uh, he grew up in West Newberry. I'm not sure how far West Newberry is from Boston, but every time they go to Boston, he's in his hometown. He's in his hometown. He's in his home state. He's not in his hometown. But they say he is, and it just makes them look so bad because he gets booed. He gets booed more than he gets cheered in his supposed hometown. Um, it's not the same thing. And, I, you know, when I look back at all of Cena's title wins from that first one against JBL until the most recent one at Money in the Bank, he never had that same level of of passion, it never came through the way that it did when when Eddie won the belt. You know, CM Punk. CM Punk had that. I think at Madison Square Garden when he beat Del Rio for the WWE title at Survivor Series. That wasn't his first reign. It was the start of the 434 uh, day run that he had. But from having Howard Finkel announce him to the ring to winning the title in Madison Square Garden, diving into the front row in that sea of fans. I just remember Punk had this big smile on his face. Like, you couldn't slap that smile off his face. He was so happy to have had that moment. It probably meant more to him, I'm guessing, than winning the title from Cena in Chicago at Money in the Bank did. Just knowing the history of that building in New York and having the Fink announce him as the new champion, and as a fan, knowing all of the guys struggled coming up from the Indies, the backstage politics holding him down. Paul Heyman has told the story before they wanted they wanted Heyman to fire Punk when Heyman was in charge of Ohio Valley. The directive came down from the top, get rid of him. And he fought for him. He said, I'm not going to do it. You want to fire him, you do it yourself. I think you're making a big mistake. And he fought for the guy and he, he saved his career. That's why he's a Paul Heyman guy. That's not just the storyline. That's reality. So there's a lot of interesting twists and turns to the CM Punk story, just like there was a lot of interesting twists and turns and highs and lows with the Eddie Guerrero story. So, you know, I give Punk as an example of somebody who I think had that same kind of passion with that with that title win, so I remember that one. Plus, I was in the building that night, so maybe I'm a little biased. Uh, Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan winning the title the first time at SummerSlam when he beat John Cena before the uh, the cash-in. That was another. I remember watching this guy killing himself in a match in a hotel ballroom in front of 700 people because I was there. I saw it. And like Eddie, being told you're too small to be WWE champion. You know, John Cena never got told you're too small. John Cena was. They called him the freaking prototype. That was his name in developmental. That's what he was. He was the prototype. He was the exact prototype for what they looked for. You know, Cena did have, you know, there, there was one interesting, I guess, twist in the Cena story in that uh, he was this close from getting cut. And what saved him was uh, being uh, the Vanilla Ice, dressing up as Vanilla Ice on that one Halloween episode of SmackDown. And I guess Stephanie McMahon saw him and he was like battle rapping and she was very impressed. And that's when they made the decision to run with him as this thug rapper character, you know, the doctor of thugonomics. So that was his big break. He also, it sounds like, came very close to being cut. Uh, I'm not sure why you would cut a guy who looked like John Cena, but even John Cena came very close to being cut and got uh, got saved by that one little thing. But, I mean, aside from that, there really isn't much. It's a very hollow story, I think, that he has. It's a very basic, vanilla kind of story when you compare it to an Eddie Guerrero, a Daniel Bryan, a CM Punk, 
uh, or, or any of those kind of guys. Here's one way I would describe it. Eddie won the title, and it felt like a wrestler won it. Cena won the title, and it felt like a guy playing the role of wrestler had won it. That's the best way I can describe it. And since then, look, it's been how many years? Cena's proven himself to be a wrestler, uh, not just the guy playing a wrestler. He's worked his ass off at it. Say what you want to about his wrestling skills. But that's how it felt at that time. And the 14 times since then that he won the belt, none of those wins have come close to matching the emotion of Eddie winning the belt from Brock. I can't even remember half of the title wins that he had. He's had so many of them. Wow. Strong comments. JJ, let's start with you first. What you thought? Well, I can't say I, I agree with him when he talks about passion. Passion is different from storytelling. He mentioned, you know, Eddie Guerrero. There was a great story when Eddie won. It was special. You know, he was the underdog, and who was he facing for the WWE Championship? Brock Lesnar, a guy who, again, legit credentials, an NCAA champion. You know, he's a beast. He's exactly what you would want from the WWE. And at that time, Brock really was, was great. When he was uh, 10 years ago, he was an animal, man. He was doing some amazing stuff in that ring. We all remember the shooting star press. He would do the multiple uh, backbreakers. At the same time, he did lots of big man moves to guys, and he was very agile. He's still agile now. But I remember his first run, which is very impressive. So, again, you have Eddie Guerrero, who busted his ass for years, someone who you would never think would be at the, you know, the main event to go against you know, the champion for the championship and you know, to win. And for everything that he's been through with you know, drugs and you know, everything, that obstacles that were in his way, that you'd never do this, you'd never get to this point in your career, and to prove them wrong – it was an amazing story where Eddie got to embrace being champion and being the man. You know, it was a really great moment, and uh, that was special. He mentioned CM Punk, and I first of all, he shouldn't speak for CM Punk because I've heard Punk talk multiple times saying that that win in Chicago was special. But you could see the win even in New York at the Survivor Series. It was special because you knew going forward all the things – that they probably had in store for Punk, and I'm sure he was damn happy. I mean, 434 days as champion, that's, you know, unheard of these days. And uh, Punk, again, the wrestler, his story going into it where, you know, you thought he was leaving WWE and he wasn't going to come back, and then he won the title on his way out. It was a huge moment. Chicago blew the roof off to join that money in the bank, and here he comes back. He had a feud with Triple H. It was Triple H pretty much buried him. He beat him. He had this, you know, back and forth with Kevin Nash that went nowhere, and then eventually he was put in a, a spot with Alberto Del Rio, and, uh, you know, he recaptured his title and that he should have never lost, in my opinion. But he, he had that moment. It was finally CM Punk regained the title. You know, there's no more money in the bank. No one's going to screw him out of the title. This is his moment now. And it was a really great built-up to when that led to the 434 days. Cena has never had that. Cena, he's had some, you know, his matches. You can argue with his technical wrestling skill, but the one thing I will defend Cena on is his passion. If you watch Monday Night Raw uh, this past week, Cena showed his passion, and we don't see it often, which is maybe the problem. But there's been those few points where he did show his passion, his passion when he was going up against Daniel Bryan, his passion when he was going against CM Punk, 
and when he was going up against Randy Orton. We've seen glimpses here and there of Cena's true passion when he cuts loose and he drops that whole, you know, kitty stuff and his silly jokes, corny jokes. We see John Cena be passionate. John Cena can be very passionate when he wants to be. Unfortunately, we don't see that side often. And when Cena won the title from JBL at WrestleMania 21, what was really the big deal? I mean, yeah, it was a huge accomplishment. His first major championship in the WWE, that's a, a big moment for him. But for the fans, what was really the, the built-up towards that match? JBL was a big bully. I mean, that, that's really it. There, there was no built-up like with Eddie Guerrero, who had personal demons, and he finally, you know, was at the top of the mountain. CM Punk, another guy from the Independence, who you told, you know, because of how he looked and how he dressed with his tattoos, he's straight edge, and you know, he's never going to be the top guy in a big man's world in WWE, and yet he did it. And here you have John Cena, who, what is he? He's a bodybuilder. He is the big guy, as uh they pointed out in OVW, in their developmental at the time, he was the prototype. He was exactly what the WWE looks for in a superstar. And then he wins the title. I mean, what do you expect? It wasn't a big moment. Even throughout the years, he's wrestled Edge, Randy Orton, Sheamus, Batista, Miz, Rey Mysterio, uh, Del Rio, and, you know, most recently, The Rock. He's wrestled even Chris Jericho for WWE titles, world titles. There really is no big moment, big built-up, they're just matches. They don't feel special, and that's one of the things Cena's lacked in his 15 world's titles, is none of them have really stood out. They haven't been special. I mean, you could argue the first one, like I said, just because your first world title is a pretty huge moment, and I think he was champion for about 280 days, and I think uh, you know, he eventually dropped the title to Edge when Edge cashed in money in the bank for the first time ever. So uh, it was a pretty good run for him. I mean, you know, it's almost a year, but uh, at the same time, it just his title reigns haven't felt special. That's the one thing he's lacked. Passion is not the problem. It's just that that connection the fans feel with his matches. Now, you could argue that he can't wrestle, but again, if you watch Monday Night Raw, he had an amazing match with Antonio Cesaro. And here's the thing. A lot of people will complain that John Cena can't wrestle, and then they'll laugh at him when he does a Hurricane Rana or he does a drop kick, or if he does uh, something that you don't expect him to do, they laugh at him. The guy's a bodybuilder, man. He's not Rey Mysterio. He's not CM Punk. He's not Daniel Bryan. He's a big, you know, Hulk-like man. You know, you, I don't expect him to move flawlessly in the ring. I expect him to move like a, a kind of a slow, sluggish bodybuilder because that's what he is. But when he does do a move like that, it surprises me. It's something that you don't see him do. He doesn't take that risk or that chance. But every now and then he'll prove his credits wrong. And that's one of the things I give to Cena. He's got the passion. He just hasn't been in a situation where his matches have felt special. You know, it depends who he's working with. Okay, Dominic, what's your thoughts on the Cena situation? Yeah, J.J., i got to agree with you on a lot of points, man, really. John Cena has not made any of his title wins special. Maybe like the first one you said, but when it does come to passion, he does have it. But to compare Eddie Guerrero to John Cena is like comparing a steak and Peter Lugas to fucking Burger King. <laughs> 
there's there's no comparison at all to Eddie Guerrero and John Cena. Eddie yeah. Guerrero had the passion. He had the desire. He yeah. came from being, and I hate using this expression, a small guy that people would say would never be champion. I hate yeah. that. I yeah. hate that because the small guys got all the goods. They could fly yeah. around. They could do anything they want in a ring, like Rey Mysterio, like Eddie yeah. Guerrero, and like a lot of the smaller guys that you got in Mexico that are excellent that McMahon wouldn't dare bring in unless they changed their style to a McMahon style. Yeah. And by putting the title around smaller guys, it shows that the little guy can also do it. And when Cena does do a couple of new moves like he did on Monday night, granted, he tried, but he made them look so friggin' sloppy that, like, don't do that shit again and don't do that shit at home. But he is a bodybuilder. He's not expected to fly around like a gazelle. And if you ask me, Antonio Cesaro carried John Cena. Cesaro should have won that match. Cesaro is just such an incredible version of a throwback wrestler, like oh, a yeah. Billy Blanchett, like an Arn Anderson, like uh, a Hans yeah. Schmidt, to go back even further. He's unbelievable. Yeah. And yet, he's getting That's stiffed. That's the old-school uh, wrestling mentality, right? Yep, yep, and he's getting stiffed. And yeah. this push was supposed to go to Cesaro, but they decided to do it with Roman Reigns. And so yeah. far, Roman Reigns ain't, ain't proven me nothing yet. Yeah. And we'll definitely see what happens with Mr. Roman Reigns. Yep. Okay, uh, yeah, go ahead, Don. Anything else, Tom? No, no, that was it. <laughs> okay. Uh, CM Punk, uh, the, the clip will tell us uh, his opinion of his greatest matches. Yeah, you believe in the WWE. Let's take a listen and a little debate on the other side. Finally, this week marked the official end of the CM Punk era in WWE. His contract is believed to have expired this past week. Uh, there's been some debate on exactly which day it was. Was it on uh, Tuesday? Was it on Thursday? Which would have been July 17th, the exact date uh, of the Money in the Bank pay-per-view back in 2011. There were a lot of rumors that he did not re-sign a deal with the company until the day of that show. It was backstage, so it would make sense if it was the 17th. Uh, and I remember reading at that time that he had extended his deal for three years, and those three years are up they did not roll over his deal. He did not resign. He is gone. He is not going to be at Battleground tonight making a surprise appearance. I know there are still some punk fans out there holding out hope. Uh, when the hashtag thank you punk started trending on Twitter, he went on Twitter and posted a note that said, no, thank you. Thanks for all the help and support through the years. Health and happiness above all. Don't ever take any shit from anybody. Uh, good advice to live by no matter what you do for a living, whether you're a wrestler or not. So I thought that in the spirit of uh, Punk's run coming to an end, I would go ahead and pen a column on five of his best matches in WWE, which is what I did. You can go up and uh, check the article out right now. It's up on PWmania.com. I've linked to it on my Twitter page. There's links to it up on Facebook. Uh, so you can head on over. It's one of the featured articles on the uh, right-hand side if you scroll down on PW Mania. It is a column listing five of CM Punk's best matches, his most memorable matches, including a couple I think that sometimes get overlooked. 
Uh, I did include the ECW title win over John Morrison back in 2007. I included a triple threat match with Alberto Del Rio and The Miz, two of my favorite wrestlers, as many of you know. Uh, but they actually had a kick-ass TLC match back in 2011 that I think gets forgotten about a lot. Uh, it was not the best TLC match of all time, but it was a damn good match. I think that people should go back and check out if you have the network. And, you know, some of the other matches you would expect, the match with Brian at Over the Limit in 2011, they had that great championship match. Punk and Brock at SummerSlam uh, two years ago, which I thought was the match of the year in WWE that year. We had Punk and John Cena. Money in the Bank 2011, one of my favorite all-time matches. It was just, it was just magic. Everything from the crowd reaction, being in Chicago, uh, the stuff that was happening behind the scenes, some of which we knew about, some of which we didn't. Uh, the relatively clean—I can't call it a totally clean finish because there was a, you know, a distraction, I guess, from Vince and John Laurinaitis. But uh, for the most part, a clean pinfall win over John Cena. Those things are rare. And uh, Punk fleeing the arena through the crowd and putting the belt in his refrigerator. Uh, it's just an all-time classic. So uh, I talk a little bit about those matches and some other, uh, some other points about Punk as well. So you can go on PWMania.com, check it out, leave some feedback, leave some comments, let me know what you think. And uh, all the best to CM Punk. Hopefully he's, uh, he's happy. He's stuffing his face with pizza and ice cream and going to hockey games and I think he's going to be starting a podcast soon, so I guess I'll have some more competition. Competition's always good. So uh, best of luck to him. Okay, JJ, what is some of your uh, favorite uh, CM Punk matches? As well, we heard some here. Yeah, I mean, n- number one for me, because <clears throat> it was so special, was his first uh, WWE title win in Chicago against John Cena at Money in the Bank, where you didn't know whether or not he was going to resign or not. We thought he was done with WWE and he was going to leave and Cena was just going to bury him. And yet here he won and the crowd went nuts. I mean, if you want to know how special that was, go to YouTube, do a search, CM Punk entrance uh, at Money in the Bank 2011. Just watch his entrance when he was walking down the aisle and uh, I think at the time he was still playing the, the fire still burns. He didn't have cult of personality yet. But the place blew the roof off the Allstate Arena, and Punk went to climb the turnbuckle. And if you hear him, you know, he broke the whole PG code. He goes, what's my fucking name? And the crowd was just chanting, CM Punk, CM Punk. And it made it. You can hear it. I don't know if it's censored on the WWE Network. But if you go to YouTube, it ain't censored there. You can hear him, you know, drop an F-bomb, which was, you know, just made it even more special. But the match itself, the fans were hanging on everything. The back and forth between uh, Punk and Cena, again, another case where Cena looked his best every time he worked with Punk. They always had great matches together, but that was a, a special match. The story going into it, the passion involved, it was just uh, an unbelievable night in Chicago that I personally will never forget. But Punk has had so many great matches. I look at just uh, WrestleMania with The Undertaker. That was unbelievable. You know, SummerSlam with Brock Lesnar. That, again, just a, a great match. Lesnar was the beast. He needed a big victory. He beat the holy hell out of CM Punk, but CM Punk never backed down despite being the smaller guy. You know, he gave uh, Brock a hell of a good fight. It was a great match. Even before that, he mentioned uh, uh, Punk's, one of his first championship wins, 
was uh, the ECW title against John Morrison, which I believe might have also been in Chicago. Uh, when Punk was doing the whole straight edge society, he had a great feud with his buddy uh, Ray Mysterio. Mysterio even shaved his head bald. I mean, uh, they had some great matches uh, together back and forth. Uh, just uh, And, of course, that match with Daniel Bryan at Over the Limit in 2011, I mean, that was basically every, you know, Internet fan's dream match. Seeing Punk and Bryan, you know, main eventing, well, I shouldn't say main eventing because it was a WWE, and, of course, they didn't close the show in the actual main event. But despite the fact it was for the WWE Championship, Punk, Bryan, uh, unbelievable series of matches between those guys. And uh, it was just uh, some really great moments. But not just pay-per-views. You could watch Punk on a weekly basis, whether it was Monday Night Raw going up against, you know, recently, you know, Seth Rollins or Dean Ambrose, the members of The Shield, tagging with Daniel Bryan. He always delivered and gave his best each and every night. And uh, I think, unfortunately, he paid for it. But, uh, you know, Punk, as far as we know, he's not in the WWE anymore. His contract is up, and they didn't uh, hold him. They didn't try to press him down and say, oh, well, you walked out on us. We're going to hold you and lock you in for another six months. They let it go. So he's officially done with them, and he's just doing life outside of wrestling. You know, I mentioned he was at the San Diego Comic-Con. He was working for Chris Hardwick's uh, Nerdist company, and he was covering all things, you know, comic book and movies related. He uh, did, you know, interviews with some of the people over there, which you can see at Nerdist.com. Uh, even before that, I mentioned that he was a part of the AXS TV Alternative Press Music Awards. Uh, he hosted the pre-show. He uh, even introduced Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins, in which, you know, he did a great, of course, CM Punk moment where, you know, he read what the, the people wanted him to read at the alternative press and teleprompter and whatever. But then eventually, once he was done saying what they said, he then went on to just deliver his own little sort of heartfelt speech about Billy Corgan and the Smashing Pumpkins and why, you know, he's such a, a legendary figure in music. So Punk's always been the kind of guy that, you know, he does what he wants and he does it with passion. You know, if he doesn't have that passion then, you know, he simply walks away and he looks for the next thing. And I think, unfortunately, you know, he lost his passion for wrestling. He even mentioned uh, when he was giving the award to Billy Corgan, he said that Billy Corgan's probably a bigger wrestling fan than me, which I think just goes to show you that, you know, you know what the WWE has done to him over his career, and I think he's just had enough of wrestling. He's focused on uh, what he can do in a non-wrestling role. Uh, yeah, totally agree. Um, Dominic, what's some of your favorite matches with uh, Mr. CM Punk? See, when it comes to a guy like CM Punk, I don't look on off of a list because he always seemed to do something different in all of his matches. Yeah. He's got a lot. He's got a lot of great moves, and he always throws in something different or a variation of something he already did, and he always gave 110 yeah. percent. And I like. I'd like to think that it was only a storyline, that he's going to show up on SmackDown on Friday, but he is done. He is done with wrestling, and unfortunately, uh, you know, he he did come up from, from uh, the Indies, and it's unfortunate that he retired. I think he retired way too soon. 
Yeah. But never say never in wrestling. Uh, you know, he could start up on the indies again if he gets that itch. Because that's yeah. it. All the other wrestlers want to scratch eventually. Nobody ever stays really retired. Like Terry Funk still point. gets in there. I mean, he ain't the Terry, Terry Funk. Funk of old, but he'll he'll get in there. And who knows? Punk yeah. may get the desire. One yeah. thing you learn about, you know, when you're watching wrestling is, uh, you know, decade after decade, he, the word never, say never, is yep. true. You know, never say never is not to be, you know, if a wrestler says, I'm never going to wrestle, that probably means he is going to wrestle. I'm ne- I've yet to see a wrestler say, I'll never be in the WWE and stay put. Even uh, the the great Bruno San Martino uh, yeah. did come hell of high water. He would never step foot in the WWE ring. Yeah. And the the icon uh, uh, did go into the Hall of Fame last year yep. and well-deserving. And I guess he did it for his fans or whatever the reason. But uh, he said he wouldn't come through. Sting always said he would not come to the WWE in any shape, you know, video games or whatever the case is. He said that's it. You know, if WCW, he would never come back. Terry Funk retired about 25 times. And you'll see on Thursday, uh, Matt Hardy and Jeff Hardy are back, and the Dudley's are back. So this idea that you know, he's done, uh, yes, he's done for now, but we'll, we will see if there is two to be continued. Okay, recently uh, two former enemies uh, shared a, a podcast together. I'm talking about Easy e Eric Bischoff, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. It was a thriller, no pun intended. Let's take a listen and talk on the other side. Eric, I was going through your Twitter account the other day. I know you got a flight this afternoon to go back to Phoenix. Mm-hmm. You said you had a, uh, I think we were talking about Southwest Airlines, you had a tip to be able to get on to the airplane before everybody else. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's no secret, but, you know, when you fly, and I like Southwest. I fly them often. I do, too. Um, but, you know, if you just go ahead and spend a couple extra bucks and, and fly business, um, and it's not first class and business class, but you get this business select, which means you get a, to board, you know, they board by number. So you get one through 15. Right. Well, that way you get to pick your seat. Yes. And, and generally, you know, if you do it soon enough, if you don't wait till the last minute, which I do sometimes, but if I do it soon enough, the day before, two days before, I'll get an A1, A2, A3, A4. And there are, there's a row of seats around the center of the plane by the door. They're, they're emergency uh, exits rows. And... You know, there's more more room in that seat than there is in most first class flights right. that I fly it. And the seats are comfortable and they're big, and it's really not that hard. You just spend a couple extra bucks, you know, twenty, thirty, forty extra bucks, and just plan your stuff ahead of time. It works great. I always check in, you know, early enough to be in that first. As long as you're in that A group, you can still get a pretty good seat. Absolutely. And I'm not looking for the first seat on the plane. A lot of times, if I'm one of the early guys, I'll just head straight to the back of the plane, and hopefully it's not a full flight so I can get some seats by myself. Uh, uh, but one of the things I've been meaning to do, and have you done this, when you're traveling, you're going back and forth to, to Canada or wherever, that damn Nexus thing, or whatever it's called, uh, wh- wherever you're at, it's just you, you go through an interview process, 
your copacetic shows that your background's clear. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you get to TSA go to the front line. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's that called where, you, where you're at? Well, it's TSA PreCheck, which they have okay, yeah, all over the it. country. And then there's another one that I had. I don't use it anymore, and I can't remember the name of it. But it allows you to kind of skirt through and not stand. When I was going back and forth to Orlando a lot, I used it all the time because Orlando is just, it's a cluster. It's horrible. Dude, every time I, I've been going back and forth to Texas, and there I am in line. And sometimes if I'm flying on that United Airlines and I'm on first class, I get to go through that line. But every time, I, I'm one of the worst guys at procrastinating and putting things off. And all of a sudden, there I am going back to Mexico or going wherever. And I'm sitting in the back of that damn line thinking, dude, if you wasn't so damn lazy and you filled out the, <laughs> the, the paperwork or did the interview or whatever you got to do, you could get to the front of the line. That's one of my traveling pet peeves. Yep. TSA PreCheck. And they have them at almost every airport now, so it saves, saves me. It, you don't have to take off your shoes. Right. You know, you don't have to take off your belt most of the time. You don't have to take anything out of your bag. It's just, it makes it so much easier. Man, here's uh, one of my little uh, Southwest Airlines gimmick. I only did this like two times. My wife was so embarrassed. We were flying Southwest Airlines down to the ranch in Texas. And this is pretty much when I first met my wife. My, you, you, you met my wife yesterday. She's a little bit under the weather. Special education teacher, straight up. I mean, she doesn't cut any corners. Everything is what it is. And, you know, man, I've been flying first class for years and years and years. I'd like to get on the airplane first. And so we're flying Southwest because I'm on, on my dime. And you know how I like to save money. <laughs> but but we, were, we were some of the last ones to the airport that day. And so I said, man, i gotta, I got to do what i got to do. So about 20 yards before we got up to the counter, boy, I put on a hell of a limp. <laughs> done really <laughs> showed my range as an actor. <laughs> and, and, and just, you know, put my ticket on the counter said, can I get a medical pre-board pass, please? So that time, Eric, I, I say this not with a lot of pride, but I, <laughs> I, I used the system to work for me and went straight to the back of the plane and just got those uh, that row of three seats by the crapper. You know, I, I wasn't looking for the best seat on the house. I just wanted to sit, hopefully, where someone else wouldn't sit beside me. And, of course, my wife wouldn't board with me because she's so straight <laughs> up. So I saved her a seat back there. But So that was my one shenanigan. Also, on your Twitter account, I noticed that uh, y'all, you and uh, Jason Hervey, your business partner with BHE TV, y'all, you said on one of your tweets that y'all had crossed into another country without inst- incident details to follow. Where were you? What happened? You know, that was a joke. It, it, that was just, you know, because I, I see so many things on, on wrestling websites that they try to turn into some big, huge, breaking news. Because, right. of course, their their job, their their goals are to get people to click on their site. And, you know, the more clicks they get, the more views they get, the more money they get. I get it. I understand it. But sometimes the depth that they go to do that yeah. just makes me laugh. Yeah. And they come up with these crazy headlines, and you click on the headline, and there's nothing there. Right. And so that was just me kind of poking fun at some of the silly crap I'd seen on the Internet. All right. Hey, so you went out to dinner last night after you left my place. Now, you drove over, but you had some people come over and get you, and y'all went out to dinner. Uh, that Buffalo Bill Cody beer we drank last night, I thought that was probably about, uh, you know, 4.5%. You smartened me up, said it was 6% alcohol. Yeah, it's 6% alcohol. Yeah, I, I had a pretty good buzz by the time you left. Yeah, and it's a good thing my daughter came over to pick me up because yeah. me driving around, you know, Marina Del Rey in, in my bright red Mustang rent-a-car <laughs> might not have been the smartest move I ever made. Don't drink and drive, people. You hear it at first here on the Steve Austin Show. But it was a good decision. But I tell you what, man, by the time you left and uh, – 
people know the ongoing theme with my show it just it turns into a one man cluster muck because of my technology issues and you were sitting around as I tried to send that first hour the way this podcast happened folks was I recorded that first hour with Eric and then uh couldn't send it and it said file corrupt and we kept talking for another couple of hours and the whole time I'm talking to you trying to be engaged in the conversation <laughs> and I was but I'm looking down at these text messages that Stacy's sending me that she's not getting the show she uh Drove over here from El Segundo. She, I guess she's six or eight mile, miles away and physically took my chip, put it in her computer, and everything was fine. But I was like, you know, and you were saying, hey, man, I'll stick around and do another hour, or I'll come by in the morning and do another hour. So I appreciate it. But God dang, it's just the, the, the headaches, hassles, and horse manure that I have to go to get a show sometimes is an absolute pain in the ass. But let's, let's answer some questions from the folks and see if uh, what kind of answers you got for them. I'll chime in on a few of these. And some of this, Eric, will be uh, some of the stuff that, that we covered a little more uh, in-depth uh, yesterday that, that people will hear. But we'll try to keep these kind of, I don't know, long story short type thing. Sure. Here's one. Uh, hey, Steve, this is uh, Jose from San Jose, California. Can you ask Eric if he plans on ever writing another book post-WWE? Would love to hear his take on the current product in WWE and elsewhere. Thanks. <laughs> Got another book in you? No, no, I don't think you know. I don't think there's enough to talk about. You know, right. doing this kind of thing is fun, but writing a book is a lot of work, as you know. And I just really don't have enough to say to keep it interesting. Right. It'd be like about eight pages, <laughs> lots of pictures. It could be a pamphlet. <laughs> Eric Bischoff pamphlet. <laughs> I could write it longhand. You know, it'd be great. <laughs> okay, so uh, would love to hear your take on the current product in WWE. Are you able to watch a show and you you keep up with it here and there, or watch here it and there a week? Here and there, you know, I don't watch a lot of television. I watch, you know, the shows that Jason and I produce, obviously. Right. I watch shows that, you know, I need to watch for business purposes. I watch the news, and there's a certain amount of shows that I'll watch, you know, that I'll TiVo, you know, that I really, really like, scripted shows. Right. But okay, well, what are some of the shows you like to watch on I TV? like Game of Thrones. I really love Vikings, the new series Vikings. Um, Weeds, you know, my wife and I just finally, you know, the show's been off the air now for a couple of years, but they did eight seasons of it, and we just found it. Um, Is it really good? Because I was one of the guys that was late to Breaking Bad and fell in love with it. And oh, yeah. We, we binge-watched it like crazy and loved it. So, it, what, but, but what is Weeds about? It's about a, 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 a suburban wife, yeah. uh, a widow. Her, her husband died unexpectedly. She had two young kids. And she was, you know, financially, she was in trouble. And she started dealing pot. And she was dealing a little bit of pot here, a little bit of pot there, neighborhood, you know, card club, so to speak. And it grew and grew and grew. And her life got more complicated as a result. Her kids ended up getting involved in the business and so forth. But it's, it's just such a well-done series. And back when it first started, right. like I said, we just my wife and I started watching it, you know, I don't know, four months ago. Um, it was hugely popular, but it didn't sound like my kind of show. At well, the see, time. that's that's my problem. I'm I'm the worst about just judging a book by its cover or the name of a title. Remember when Dances with Wolves came out years ago? I'm like, Dances with Wolves. That's a stupid ass <laughs> name of a movie. I ain't never gonna watch that. And of course, since then, I've probably seen that movie ten times. It's one of my favorites, and you understand why it was called Dance with Wolves. So weeds never appealed to me for the same reason. I said, hey, it's bull crap. So should I check it out? Is, oh, is it on the level of Breaking Bad? I mean, a whole different thing, but is it that high quality? It's not as it's not as high quality as Breaking Bad, and I don't think there much is, by right. the way. But it's in the same zip code. Okay, okay. Not the same house, but same right. zip code. All right. 
let's move on down. I appreciate everybody that you uh, you sent these questions to questionsteveoffshow.com. Like, like I said, I can't answer them all, but I do uh, read them all, and I appreciate you guys for uh, helping out and being part of the show and listening to the damn thing. Eric Bischoff, what's the one decision you changed during your WCW days? I mean, that could cover a lot of territory. Swig a beer for the working man Paul from Australia. What was what would be the one decision you could change? Would that be, hey, if I could prevent the merger from Time Warner, or uh... I think there's <clears throat> well, clearly there's a lot of them, but realistically, of the things that were within my control, yeah. you know, the, the the merger certainly was not in my control. Right, right. There were two things that were really in my control that I, I wished I would have done differently. One is I wished I would have been way more aggressive about resisting the decision to do Thunder. Right. I could have fought that one, and I could have won that one Yeah. in retrospect. The other one was I wished I would have quit back in, I think it was August of 98 or July of 98. I was ready to resign, and I wished I would have then. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, that's when I first, I saw the handwriting on the wall. I saw the, the way things were going. My stock was still very high. I, you know, I wasn't stigmatized and get the heat for a lot of things that I didn't have control over. And I, I would have gone out in a much different, I would have gone out differently. Right. And I would have had different options available to me had I done that. But I didn't. And I, in retrospect, I wish I would have. What could you have done to stop the Thunder Show? You said, hey, man, this is not a good idea. Let's stick and focus on Nitro and make this our, you know, number one priority. Well, well it was. And it was. It in your lap. And I, you know, that was a Ted Turner decision. Yeah. That wasn't a Turner corporate decision. There wasn't a bunch of network executives that were chomping at the bit to do it. It was one guy. Right. And had I had balls big enough at the time, yep. I would have, through Harvey Schiller, not directly, right. but through Harvey Schiller, I would have said, no, we can't do this. But instead, I took on this soldier mentality and it's right. like you okay you want that hill right give, give me four bullets and a gun and i'm going and i wish i would have done that differently man because yeah, there's a lot of programming and, and just with what nitro was and, and with uh how intense it was in the wars and i focused uh y'all were on that show man you're giving fans everything but the kitchen sink because you know both companies were but leave them wanting more all of a sudden you're hitting them with all this other programming you know it's too much and along with the strains that you guys had, just from uh, maybe a depth of talent, lack of money, because they wanted you to do this on a dime or without the money, correct? Well, it started It started out, I had all the money I needed. That's right. how Bret Hart ended up coming to, right. to WCW. Be- specifically because we needed somebody on that show that wasn't a big star on Nitro. We needed, we needed two brands. Right. And originally we had the money, but it, once the show got going and the commitments were all made, that's when... You know, because of the the merger, all of a sudden I got you know emails from people saying, "I know we told you we were going to you know give you the money, but we've changed our mind. We're taking gotcha. it back." It's like okay, yeah. <laughs> it's like you go into a builder and you tell an architect, "Okay, you know, build me a five million dollar you know twenty room you know twenty bedroom house," and they get the house three quarters of the way built. You, say, eh, you know what? I changed my mind. Could you get that down to about one hundred fifty grand? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. Yeah. Very interesting to, f- to hear two people that hated each other at one point, uh, JJ, and uh, some interesting things. Uh, Easy E, Eric Bishop, had to say your thoughts. Double J first. No, we were just talking about you know never say never, and uh, you know guys like Bruno 
and Bret Hart and Warrior who said that they would never work for WWE again, and yet they all eventually came back. And here's another case where I never would thought I would see, you know, Eric Bischoff talking to Stone Cold Steve Austin. I mean, the history of them, and we all know just from watching, you know, ECW that, you know, Bischoff fired, you know, Steve Austin over the phone. And, you know, that really fired up Austin, and it really pissed him off. And, you know, when he went over to ECW, he got to let a lot of that out, and it helped. Uh, it really, I think it was cathartic for him, and it really kind of showed that, you know, there's another side to Steve Austin that, you know, you don't know, and that was probably the best thing that ever happened to him. And yet, all these years later, and you hear how, you know, he had troubles with a podcast, and they were doing a show, and it probably wasn't airing. And Bischoff was like, hey, you know, we'll just, uh, I'll do it. I'll stay here another hour, or we'll reschedule, you know. And, you know, we'll do another show. And it's like, that's pretty cool to see that side. And I think uh, at the end of the day, I think Bischoff is proof that, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's not personal. It's just business. You know, uh, you know business-wise, he could be a shark. But, you know, personally, he could be, you know, a, a stand-up guy. And here we're seeing Bischoff as a stand-up guy talking to Austin. Here they are, they're breaking bread with each other. And uh, it's pretty cool to, to see and to hear them talking about, you know, out, things outside of wrestling. Just, you know, their favorite TV shows. You know, Austin, a big fan of Breaking Bad. Bischoff, a fan of Weeds. And, uh, you know, just it, it's pretty cool to see, you know, how much, you know, time can really change. And uh, especially uh, those two who, as you mentioned, I mean, they, Austin at least, I couldn't say Bischoff hated Austin, but Austin definitely was pissed off at Bischoff for a very long time. And uh, it was pretty fun to see them work together in the WWE because, again, you have that history between Austin and Bischoff, and I think at the time in WWE they were co-general managers and they were working together, and you could see that any time, you know, Austin was giving Bischoff a hard time that, you know, he was really enjoying it, you know, he was finally, you know, getting him back. But uh, it was pretty cool to hear, and, uh, and uh, it was, it's uh, it's cool to see, like I said, you know, how, how things change and uh and how their relationship is today as opposed to what it was nearly, you know, 15, 20 years ago. It's it's pretty amazing. Dominic, what did you make of uh, hearing Eric Bischoff? Yeah, with all the the, heat uh, they had between each other, I would have never guessed that was Eric Bischoff talking friendly with with Steve Austin, besides about wrestling stuff outside of wrestling. Yes. It was re- yeah, it what was really good, the, really interesting. The Thunder uh, thing. Uh, oh yeah. He, he said he would have not uh, did Thunder. You agree yeah. or disagree? Uh, is that too much? I think it was too much for him at the time because you know he was solely focused on Nitro and that was his baby to make Nitro number one. And then you add a second, you know, show that means more programming you know, more writers and more superstars are going to have to appear on there. And he did have the idea that maybe they could branch out and have, you know, Nitro and Thunder be two separate shows. And maybe that Nitro could be the NWO show and then Thunder could be the WCW show. But then again, we have, you know, a lot of the inmates were running the asylum and they said, well, hey, you've got two television shows. I want to be on the second show too. I want to be on both shows. 
So then that kind of went out the window because now you got guys wanting to be on both shows. So they never got to do that. So I, I could I could see him saying that you know Thunder was a huge regret of his that you know he wished he would have said no to Ted Turner because as he mentioned you know no one else is really pushing for it you know just Ted and if Bischoff you know at the time would have had the balls to stand up and say listen we can't do this it's too much maybe they would have backed down and it wouldn't have happened and who knows how the Monday Night War, you know, would have changed if they could solely focus on making Nitro the best product possible as opposed to trying to make Nitro, you know, number one and yet still trying to produce, you know, Thunder and still have these two shows uh, being, you know, equally, you know, on the same page. And this, I think, was way before uh, WWE even introduced SmackDown because I think SmackDown came out, in maybe late 98 or early 99. So, you know, Thunder was ahead of its time, and it was a lot of work. And uh, I think it was a lot of work for WWE, as you can see today, as they're struggling with Raw and SmackDown. And SmackDown, obviously, I mean, you can miss SmackDown, and who cares? At the end of the day, the number one flagship show is Monday Night Raw. And, uh, you know, all these years later, we can see that, you know, these two shows a week can be a, a bit much. It's uh, oversaturated. Yeah, Thunder should have just been a, a recap, if anything, of Nitro. And, uh, Dominic, do you buy into the fact that he was uh, about to resign in 98? Uh, in August of 98, he said he was about to resign. Yeah, uh, I, don't believe that. I don't believe that. That's right. They were in there, he, you know, they were doing good then. Nitro, yeah, maybe 99, even. But he 98 was. was pretty good. Yeah. And maybe maybe with Thunder and Nitro, they were, you know, it was too much WCW. But now we got the same thing with WWE. We got Raw and SmackDown. JJ, I agree with you. Raw will always be the flagship show. And once you see the spoilers on SmackDown, nobody, nobody watches it because the show is lousy. In all honesty, I've been doing karaoke for the last three weeks on a Friday night. Granted, it starts at 9.30, and I do watch a little bit of SmackDown before I go out, but that's while I'm getting dressed, while I'm, you know, while I'm getting ready and shit, and it really doesn't interest me. I think when they went live with SmackDown on Friday and Raw on Monday, I think that was, some, that was pretty good, but it, it costs a lot to put on two live shows a week, let alone yeah. one. So maybe that's why they got rid of putting it on live on Friday. And they also had some live uh, shows on Tuesday, a couple of them at least. Uh, yeah, yeah that's down. right. Yep. So that was pretty interesting. I just never liked the idea of having a wrestling show on Friday. You know, it was probably yeah. good for, for kids, 10 and under probably, that's, that's their uh, show, but... You know, uh, wrestling is good on a Monday, of course. Late night, Saturday was always fine with me. But Friday night at 8 p.m., I mean, the whole world is out. Yeah, basically. exactly. And, and if you're going on the West Coast, it's, uh, seven, it's what, uh, like 5 p.m. The only thing to do with is going... put in a tape and hit record. That's it. And you watch it when you come home. Yeah. Yeah, it is crazy. Uh, this week we will finally see the uh, pay-per-view of uh, TNA that I guess didn't air uh, last week. 
but uh, they will show uh, the show that I went to uh, Thursday. I was at that show, but then they they taped uh, with the Hardys teaming up and then Dixie uh, getting her due from Bubba Ray Dudley. So that should be good. Do you you know any of the matches in uh, uh, JJ? You know any matches coming up on Thursday's show? One match that should be confirmed is because they announced it uh, last week on Impact was that Austin Aries will be cashing in his uh, option C, and he uh, he returned the X Division title to uh, Kurt Angle, and now he will be challenging for Bobby Lashley's World Heavyweight title. So that match should take place uh, at Destination X uh, this Thursday, so hopefully we will see that. You know, the other matches that are scheduled, you know, I'm not too sure of. I know we're going to see the Hardy Boys taking on the Wolves for the tag title, so that should be a really great quality match in two tag teams. The Hardys, who, you know, did everything. In fact, I think even tonight on the WWE Network, they have a WrestleMania Rewind featuring the Hardy Boys versus the Dudley Boys versus Edge and Christian at WrestleMania 16. So the Hardy will be highlighted on the network tonight. So <laughs> you can watch them on the network tonight and then watch them back in action on Impact this Thursday. So, oh, wow. When was that match from? Well, uh, tonight uh, on the WWE Network, they're going to be uh, airing what they do every Tuesday. It's called WrestleMania Rewind, where they highlight a past oh, WrestleMania. WrestleMania. Yeah, and tonight they're going to be highlighting WrestleMania uh, 2000, which was WrestleMania 16, I believe, and they're going to be highlighting the three-way, I think, ladder match between uh, the Hartley Boys, the Dudley Boys, and Edge and Christian for the tag titles. So it's very cool to see tonight on uh, the WWE Network, if you have the network. Uh, Also, they had main event, which we mentioned uh, another WWE programming show that's live Tuesday night. They have Dean Ambrose versus uh, Alberto Del Rio, I think, is scheduled. They also have uh, WWE Countdown, which is this them counting down, you know, whether it be the greatest finishers, greatest entrants, greatest returns, rivalries, you name it. Uh, tonight, I think they're going to be covering the greatest uh, finishing moves in WWE, so we'll see whether or not they have, uh, you know, the Tombstone or, you know, you know, John Cena's attitude adjustment or Stone Cold Stunner, the super kick from Shawn Michaels, Sweet Chin Music will be named, you know, top finisher. So that's something to see also on the network tonight. Yes, and uh, we started off the show, uh, of course, with the Spike uh, Network. And uh, is it true that WWE lost money uh, when they resigned with USA? Yeah, they definitely uh, lost money with USA. In fact, they were hoping that they would have got a much more lucrative deal. But like I said, that d- during the whole thing with the WWE Network not doing as well as they hoped, and then as we mentioned when Vince in the stock market, he lost nearly a third of his fortune. I think uh, NBC and Universal just just weren't interested. They didn't think that WWE was uh, that uh, important enough that they warranted you know, what they were asking. So they ended up... Uh, going for much less than the WWE wanted. In fact, I think even Vince McMahon commented that, you know, they didn't exactly get what they wanted, but at the same time, you know, there's really no alternative because the network 
it hasn't reached what they wanted it to yet in numbers. In fact, I think even Jim Ross pointed out that this should be the week where they announce the second quarter subscriptions for the WWE Network. So it's a big moment for WWE because they are on pins and needles, you know, wondering, you know, what the subscription number is because there's a lot of people in WWE right now that don't know. They won't know until they have uh, that press conference this week in which they will find out what the second quarter numbers are. And I hope for their sake that it's uh, an improvement and it's close to what they're looking for. I think they're looking for at least a million subscribers. I don't think they're going to get a million, but they definitely want to get at least, you know, 800,000 subscribers. So we'll see how it goes for them. But they didn't get what they wanted out of USA, which is very alarming for TNA because, you know, Spike TV could be very adamant, you know, seeing how NBC did with uh, WWE, and Spike could be very adamant and just say no, that they won't take uh, TNA. You know, TNA wants to obviously make a profit, but Spike probably said, well, you're probably not worth it. You know, we'll keep you if you accept this amount, and it might be a lot less than TNA is willing to do, but to stay on television and to keep that audience and to stay afloat, you know, uh, I think they might have to really look hard and decide whether or not they want to stay with Spike for less or if they just want to shop around another network and take their chance. I mean, it's a huge risk right now. So, you know, we'll see how it turns out for TNA. It's a huge risk, but TNA is in no shape uh, to not be on a television network yeah. uh, by any stretch. Um, they do have links. So uh, on Spike TV, where you could actually watch the full episode of uh, TNA Impact, so uh, you could check that out. On, and, uh, on, and this, where is that, King? Yeah. Uh, that I saw on a link. Um, I will find it and I will definitely email it to you. All right, cool. So, uh, yeah. But uh, getting back to the spirit of SummerSlam, JJ, uh, any uh, particular SummerSlams uh, stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, uh, we were just talking before about some of Punk's uh, greatest matches, and I thought, you know, he had a really great classic. Uh, when you think of SummerSlam the past three years, maybe even five years, I don't know if we've had that really big moment, that big match at SummerSlam. Of course, Daniel Bryan, you know, winning the title from Cena was such a huge moment. Again, another story of, you know, uh, like we mentioned when Eddie Guerrero won the title for the first time, when Daniel Bryan won the title, the WWE title for the first time, it was such a huge moment for him and for wrestling fans just rejoicing. Uh, that was a really great moment. You know, it sucked that just a few seconds later, Randy Orton would cash in money in the bank and just take the title off Daniel Bryan. Everyone was so upset and pissed off, and it really led to a rebellion, and it created that yes movement where the fans were just chanting yes and for Daniel Bryan nonstop throughout people's matches. I mean, it really started something special. But uh, even, like I said, before that, Punk, Lesnar, awesome. Even further back, 1992, you know, uh, like, again, I mentioned, wow. you know, Steam Punk in Chicago against John Cena. Well, nowadays, when you look at Punk in Chicago against Cena, way back then in 92, I say way back then, like it was such a long time ago, but for a lot of fans who maybe didn't watch 
WWE in 92, you had Bret Hart versus the British Bulldog at uh, Wembley Stadium, and that was a huge moment for the British Bulldog in his hometown. That was like his moment that Punk had, and it wasn't for the world title. It was just for the Intercontinental title, but it was such a big moment, and the Intercontinental title meant so much back then that it was just such a, a great moment as well as a, a great match between Bret Hart and uh, Davy Boy, the British Bulldog, and the fans really loved it. And you'll hear uh, lots of different stories uh, about uh, what went on during the match. I think we've even had uh, Diana Hart on, and she mentioned how how special that moment was for Davy and for the family. And you know, I think the the Hart, Stu Hart, and Stella, uh, you know Helen Hart were there. It was just a, a huge moment. Yeah, with the Hart family and uh, just between Brett and Bulldog. Like I said, the story was just great. The match was great. And the SummerSlam is, is always really, it's kind of like the summer version of WrestleMania. It's supposed to be that big special event in the summer, that next blockbuster. So lately we're starting to see it become that again. So I'm hoping this SummerSlam gives us some great moments that we'll remember uh, last year, they had the SummerSlam access for the first time ever. We often uh, hear of the WrestleMania access they do every year. Last year was the first time they did a SummerSlam access. Unfortunately, due to budget cuts, they won't be doing an access show this year. However, they will be doing a special sort of panel in which they will have Hulk, Hulk Hogan, I believe, uh, August 15th, which is Friday, he will be doing a Q&A for two hours for uh, wrestling fans uh, through the WWE. And then Saturday, the August 16th, that's when they're going to have the WWE 2K15, the video game roster review. And I believe Triple H and Shawn Michaels will be there and a part of that. And then Sunday, August uh, 17th, Stone Cold Steve Austin will be in the house to do a special Q&A uh, Q&A. Hey, like I said, a special two-hour Q&A with uh, fans. And then, of course, Sunday is the pay-per-view. It is, I believe, the 27th uh, SummerSlam. It's just 19 days away. It's the sixth event that they've had at the Staples Center in a row. For the last six years, SummerSlam has basically been an exclusive to Los Angeles uh, Staples Center. Yes, and what did you say? This is the 27th year of SummerSlam? Uh, not the 27th year, but it should be the 27th event. I believe it's probably the 26th anniversary, but it is the 27th event. Ah, very interesting. What about you, Dominic? Any SummerSlam uh, memories that you uh, like to share? Uh, see... Not every SummerSlam has every match that's good. Some of them have two matches that are good. Some of them have four matches that are good. We're never going to get a show where every, every match is excellent and we're satisfied with the entire pay-per-view. I don't think that'll ever happen. I don't think it can happen. Uh, do you remember the uh, SummerSlam uh where Lex Luger thought he won the title and uh, it was a count-out or something like that? It was like a count-out, yep. Yep. Oh, my God. Yeah. I saw that on I saw that on one of the websites where they do take five, and it's five things that 
occur, whether it's a finishing move or whatever. And this is five things that people didn't believe. And one of them was Lex Luger thought he won the title, and there is Yoko outside the <laughs> ring laying there, and there was a countdown. Right. Right, yes. And uh, the first SummerSlam, I believe, was in 88, right? Madison yeah. Square Garden. With uh, the Megaphone. Uh, yes. When Elizabeth uh, made that sexy distraction to the Million Dollar Team, I believe that was a team of what? Uh, Ted DiBiase, um, Andre. Against Hogan and Savage? Yeah. And Jesse Ventura was the referee? I believe so, yeah, in 88, yeah. Yeah, and there was also one, the 89 or 90 or whatever it was, where uh, I think he showed Mean Gene had a slip-up. And uh, that was pretty funny. Uh, It was on uh, the WWE YouTube channel. So if you guys get a chance, definitely check that out. Some good yeah, stuff on the... Was the, the Warrior. Warrior and Rick Rude. Which one? 80 what? I think 1990 SummerSlam was uh, Ultimate 90. Warrior versus Rick Rude for the title in a steel cage match. So which one was uh, Zeus teaming with Savage, I think? That might have been 89 the year before. Right, right. And they took on who they take on the Mega Powers, right? Macho Man and Hogan. And eighty nine uh, have been Hogan and uh Beefcake, I think. Hogan and Beefcake. Yes, yes. And uh yeah, to me to me it'll always be WrestleMania first. Yeah. Depending on how you look at it, I guess Royal Rumble would be second. Third would have to be uh, Survivor or SummerSlam. I'd go either way on that. And, uh, of course, the Mario Series would be last. What about you, Dominic? What would be your top four? I like Royal Rumble. I always did. You never know who the surprise entries are going to be. Could be some guy from out of the back. Could be a guy that's retired. Could be a couple of guys that used to be with the company and decided to come back, and they don't bring them on until Royal Rumble. It's uh, sometimes it's very predictable. Like, oh shit, I know this guy's gonna win, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not. It's and one one year I remember it was horrible because the Mean Street Posse kept running in and out of the ring chasing Kai and Tom. Oh, that yeah. Right, and you forgot who got eliminated almost because these guys were running after each other all around the ring, all around inside the ring. It's like, you know, get these guys the hell out of here. <laughs> yes, yes. We don't see the Mean Street Posse anymore, do we? No. No, no. I don't know, one guy, um, Joey Abs was Jason Arndt. And he was actually pretty good. I don't know what happened to him. And I remember a quote by Jim Cornette when Jason Arndt was wrestling as Jason Arndt and not the uh, 
Mean Street Posse. He said, if Jason Aunt was born down south, they would probably call him Jason Ain't. <laughs> yeah. They were James put in by Kano uh, Mac, right? No, that was Jim Cornette saying that. No, I meant the Mean Street Posse. Yeah, that was Shane O'Mac's supposedly college friends. His crew. I tell you, would it be interesting if Shane O'Mac fought TNA or something like that? Oh, please, no. (laughs) Then that's the end of wrestling as we know it. Oh, my God. I remember that night (laughs) Shane O'Mac showed up on, on, on WCW. Dad, I'm over here, and I'm going, oh, no. That's oh, what yeah, yeah. That's but tonight, as wrestling uh, fans, now what are we going to do? We only got one product. There's no more territories. And now McMahon right. owns WCW. God help us. And Ric Flair took on Sting, and the, which they thought that would be their last match. Yeah, really. And it wasn't. That was an uh, emotional night. The Vince was with Trish. He fired Jeff Jarrett right right on live TV. He did a survey, I remember. Yep. He he did a survey on a couple of wrestlers. And I remember Buff Bagwell getting a nice reaction for some reason. And Goldberg. Uh, But that was then, and uh, this is now. Okay. Uh, So... Great show, folks. Uh, thanks for joining us, uh, Dominic. Uh, it's all emailed uh, to you. Uh, the number and the, that link to TNA. So that's in your email. All right. And yeah, and your, yeah, and your uh, your new number too. Put that in the email. Everything's in there. It's all sent. Ah, very good. Okay, uh, JJ. Yeah. We will speak to you next week. Thanks all for right. joining us. Always the great four one one. Take care, take care, JJ. King, take care. Take it easy. And, All right. Uh, good night, everybody. Take, good night. And uh, we will talk to you uh, next Tuesday for more wrestling talk. And Thursday, Pat Singer joins us here. Take care, everybody.